right. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Good to see everyone. Uh, This year, like nearly every year when I'm getting ready for Easter, at least one person's going to walk up to me and say, I guess this is kind of like the Super Bowl for you. And I think I finally came up with an answer to that, a reply. Um, Super Bowl, somebody has to lose, but on Easter, everybody wins. All right, got an amen. There we go. Okay. So I, uh, I do want to do a shout out to uh, Angelina Vanicola, our communications director. Uh, our whole staff works hard, but yesterday I came by about 5 o'clock, and Angela's back in her office. She's the one that does these wonderful bulletins, most of these slides and things, and so many other things. And she looked like Tom Cratchit. Uh, bent over the counting desk, exhausted and tired, and she's worked so hard this Easter week. Let's give it up for <laughs> I was uh, at a funeral recently, and a, uh, at the reception, a couple came up and introduced themselves to me. Uh, they said that they live in Cahoma, Texas. I don't know where that is. And ever since the pandemic began, they've been watching our service online, and they finally wanted to meet me. And uh, so they've been a part of this church ever since the craziness really began. So a shout out to uh, our brothers and sisters in Cahoma, uh, to my sister-in-law in in Montana, who's probably watching this, uh, our friends in Arizona. We're nationwide. Okay. pretty cool all right it is cool it is cool to be united in Christ and uh, so we celebrate that but um, speaking of unity in Christ at the same time I think you would agree with me that uh, us Christians can find so many ways to not be united we can find so many ways to be divisive about nearly just everything I'll give you an example or picture up here. Okay. I really want to know what happy hour service is. Yeah, they left out Vespers and Sunrise Service. <laughs> All right. We, uh, I think, uh, very obviously, uh, we Christians can be so divided on everything from worship styles uh, to the doctrine of the virgin birth to how to interpret the book of Revelation to whether or not we should allow people to drink coffee in the sanctuary to the color of the upholstery on the pews, right? We can split divide, leave, kick off the dust over nearly everything. When I graduated from seminary, I was assigned to my first church, and I just graduated with a Master of Divinity. Doesn't that sound impressive? Doesn't that sound pretentious? And indeed, I think it did make me pretentious for a short while. I think I imagined that I was going to be theologian in residence. Isn't that a great phrase? 
and that I was going to be theologian in residence as we discussed the nuances of the doctrine of the Trinity. And the first crisis that came up right after I got there was not the Trinity, not atonement, not original sin, but there's not enough toilet paper in the women's bathroom. <laughs> and then there was the roof, the flat roof that leaked and we need to patch it. No, we patched it before. No, we need to buy a new roof. No, we can't afford it. And then there was the blue bonnet incident where someone mowed over the blue bonnets in front of the church before they seated. And oh my gosh, theologian in residence, more like referee in residence. Again, we Christians are perfectly capable of arguing, splitting, dividing, leaving over just about anything. So then what unites us? What unites Christians everywhere? What unites Christians in Asia, in Alaska, Scotland, West Texas, everywhere in the world? He is risen. He is risen. That is what unites us. He was dead. He really was dead. But early in the morning on that third day, he got up. He walked out. He had a body, kind of transcendent in some way, but at the same time, not a ghost, not a spirit, not a doctrine, not an idea, not a theory, but it was him. It was really Him. Jesus, the Messiah, He is risen. Back in the late 90s, I went uh, on a trip to the Holy Land with uh, a big group from our Methodist conference, a lot of pastor friends and some laity. And uh, one of the places we visited was this, okay? Uh, the Garden Tomb, okay? This is a, a tomb that, a first century tomb that was excavated back a, uh, not too many years ago that may have been where Jesus was laid, maybe not, okay? The more traditional site, uh, centuries ago, a big cathedral was built over it and you go almost down into a basement to see a little cave. And I think Americans really like this one because it sort of appeals to our imagination of what we sort of visualize that it may have been looking like. And so, next picture. Um, now, this is not from my trip, but um, the same thing happened, which is uh, there was a long line of people, and everybody would take turns. You would bend over, look into the tomb, walk off. The next person would bend over, look into the tomb, and walk off. And uh, I'd been on a previous trip where I saw a whole lot of first century tombs, and so I'm just standing off to the side. I didn't get in line. I'm standing off to the side with some uh, friends and a pastor friend. He went over and he looked, bent down. He looked in that tomb and he walked towards us. He had the most peculiar look on his face. And he got over to us and I said, what is it? What did you see? He said, you want to know what I saw? I said, yeah. He said, nothing. <laughs> it's empty. No one's there. What are we doing here? There's only one place on the planet where we know Jesus is not, and it's right here. What are we Christians doing here? He is risen. 
Why are you looking for the living among the dead? The angels asked the woman. He is not here. He is risen. But they're not looking for the living among the dead. They're looking for the dead among the dead because that's what you do in a cemetery. That's what you do when it all ends. That's how it works. Now, believe it or not, I've always had a challenging time to preach on Easter Sunday. How do you take this incredibly massive, earth, world-changing, never-before event and hear it afresh? This story we've heard so many times. It's not easy. I think one of the temptations is to try to explain the resurrection, to make it understandable. But you can't explain it. Or somehow I think it's easy to feel the obligation that somehow you have to prove the resurrection, but you can't prove it. I think the most common temptation is to try to tame it, domesticate it. Make it seem understandable, natural, even inevitable. How many sermons have you heard in that direction? Maybe it's unfortunate for us to live in the north. Maybe it's unfortunate that Easter falls in the springtime in the northern hemisphere, right? Because it's so easy to hear sermons. How many devotionals have you heard comparing the resurrection to the unfolding of spring? That which we thought was dead has come back to life. Like the flowers that start to bloom. Like the dead looking grass that wasn't dead after all and comes back and turns green. Now, the technical term for this kind of preaching is is heresy. (laughs) Because... The resurrection is not like spring. It is not natural. It is not provable. It is not inevitable. It's not like anything else. It is a pure, unique act of God, act of grace, act of forgiveness, act of new life. And I think that's why. I think the women understand that. The women understand how the world works. And that is why early on that morning, on that first day, they went to the tomb, not expecting anything to be different, not anything to be other than the way it is and the way it's always been. There's an elderly lady I know who's, who's struggling, really, with declining health and aging problems. And every time I see her, she says, that's just the way it is and you can't change it. And that's her mantra. She says it to me over and over. That's just the way it is, and you can't change it. And then she begins to cry. And she's right. The finality of death, the inevitability of the cemetery, the final ending, everyone's story coming to an undeniable and unavoidable conclusion. That's the way the world works, and there's nothing you can do about it. Power makes right, the good die young. The pure of heart get run over by that runaway train called sin, and that's just the way it is, and you can't change it. But early on that first morning, women go to the cemetery to get on with the proper business of grieving. He's dead, and that's how it is, and you can't change it. And they're completely right, and they're about to find out they're completely wrong in the most wonderful way. Why are you here? This is the one place he's not. What are you doing here? Don't you remember? 
Don't you remember what He said? Don't you remember what He promised? Even though He knew you would not believe Him, even though He knew you would betray Him, even though it will seem like nonsense when you first hear about it, He got up. He walked out. He's looking for you because He still loves you. And they remember. And they take off running. They were completely right. He was dead. And that's how the story ends. But again, they realize that maybe they're just completely wrong. Maybe that's the first step to becoming a Christian. The first step to becoming a Christian is to realize that you thought you knew everything and then you realize you didn't. The technical word for this is repent. I repent of all my rightness. I repent of all my correctness, my ego, my superior knowledge, my vanity. Who do I think I am? Telling God what is possible and what is not. Who do I think I am to tell God that that's just the way it is and you can't change it? The women take off running. The women who were their very first evangelists of the gospel, the very first preachers, the very first to proclaim the good news. He is risen. A three-word three sermon. A great, succinct, to the point, no illustrations needed, Easter sermon. He is risen. And then the disciples are off running. There's a lot of running in these resurrection stories. Okay? But when you realize you are completely wrong in the right sort of way, when you realize the world is not the way you thought it was in the most wonderful way, it's hard to just walk. You have to run. Resurrection stories. He got up. He walked out. He wasn't defeated after all. The devil didn't win after all. The Romans couldn't stop him after all. The religious authorities couldn't stop this movement from continuing. The story isn't over. The story is just beginning. Notice that we say he is risen. We don't say he was risen. He is risen. Present tense. Not past tense. Not back then. Not back in the old day. But right now. Today. He is risen. The technical term for this is Holy Spirit. Recently I was with someone that I've, I've, I've been around numerous times that haven't ever really gotten to know them much at all. And we sat down and I said, tell me your story. You ever done that? You ever sat down with somebody and said, tell me your story? And I highly recommend it. Almost every time they have a story. And it's almost always amazing. I said, tell me your story. And the first thing he said was he said, the worst thing that ever happened to me ended up being the greatest blessing I ever received. I was like, okay. That's an Easter story. The worst thing that ever happened ended up being the best blessing I ever received. I said, tell me about that. He said, many years ago, when he, he wasn't living here at the time, but he was living elsewhere, and he was out of town, and he got word that his wife committed suicide. And he was, of course, devastated beyond description. And in trying to make his way home, he stopped off at a church and coincidentally found the priest. And he sat down and he poured out his, his grief beyond grief with the priest. And the priest said, I think the Holy Spirit's going to visit you soon. And he thought, whatever. You know, thank you, that's nice have no idea what that means. He said eventually he got to the funeral home and 
went in and there was his wife lying in the coffin. And as you can imagine, he bent over, filled with anguish, grief, tears. He said, I could hardly stand. My knees were so weak. He said a good friend of his, a, a woman, was standing behind him with her hand on his back. And then he said, suddenly, it's like something straightened him up. And he said, I, I heard a voice, not in a verbal, out loud way, but I, I heard the Lord speak to me that was as real is anything I've ever known. And he said, the voice said, I've got her. It's not what I wanted, but I have her. And you're going to be okay. I thought, oh, another Easter sermon. I've got her. It's not what I wanted. But she's okay, and you're going to be okay. And he knew in that moment that it was true that the Lord had her, she was okay, and not today, not tomorrow, but someday, he would be okay. He said he turned around, and the woman that had been standing behind him, she was way across the room in the threshold of the door with her eyes wide, and he said she was a rather large woman, and he said, she said, when you stood up, something pushed me out of the room. he's not in the tomb, then where is he? Where there is forgiveness, he is there. Where, is the, where there is the peace that passes all understanding, he is there. And the tears of lost and the least and the last on the cross in your despair, on top of the world in the valley of the shadow of death, in every green meadow and sunny day, in every dark corner, he is still with you. The Roman world didn't really know what to do with these Christians. They'd never really seen anything like it before. That Roman world wasn't that different from our world. A world where first place matters. A world where power is what counts. Wealth, power, prestige. And who are these least and last who always seem happy, even when they're being persecuted? Who are these least and these last? that seem afraid of nothing. And death itself seems trivial to them and not to be worried about. I read an article recently by Adam Hamilton. He's pastor at one of the largest churches in our denomination. He says, every year for 32 years, I've concluded my Easter sermon the same. People ask me from time to time, you seem like a reasonably intelligent person. You don't really believe this stuff about Jesus dying for us and rising from the dead, do you? You're too smart for that, aren't you? I'm glad to be in conversation with people who share their doubts. But here's the answer I always give. I not only believe it, but I'm counting on it. I'm counting on the good news of Jesus. I'm counting on the good news of Jesus Christ. Proclaimed in the Gospels. Summarized in the creeds proclaimed around the world he is risen the apostle Paul says we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited 
Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Now go. Amen.